be, or 31. And 31 it is. Actually, it's verse 20 to 31, Genesis chapter 1. And when you've found it, if we could have a couple people read today, that would be a help. Genesis 1, verse 20, down to verse 31. Is there anyone that can read today? All right, we have one. And Brother Matthews, are you able to read also? All right, excellent. So uh, we'll read verse 20 to verse, let's have uh, Alice read verse 20 to 25. And then, Brother Matthews, if you could read verse 26 to verse 31. All right, Brother Rosario, would you pray for us, please? Amen. Well, we're going to be looking at day five and day six today, and these are the two final days of action. Day seven is a very quiet day. So day five picks up in verse 20. And I think a lot of this, uh, we've worked through, I think, a lot of the more difficult sections, and this is a little bit more straightforward, but there is a few things to, uh, to point out along the way for sure. So verse 20 says, And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that has life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. So on day five, the two zones where God creates is in the water and in the air. Uh, day six, he's going to create out of the soil. 
but in this day he creates out of the water and for the air. And the way it's phrased is a little differently. Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature. Um, kind of is a little funny phrasing. And the idea is just that the, the waters, uh, into the waters there would be an abundance of creatures. And so the idea is it's fully stocked. Sometimes we might imagine creation as he created two horses and then they just, you know, each created more. But especially with this, it specifically gives this idea of full. And so the fishes, the, the sea, the waters were full of fish. It was not just a couple. It was not just a few of each sort. It was fully stocked, fully uh, created. And um, it has this idea of abundantly. And so there was a lot of them. Um, you know, as we're going to move further, um, the more and more I read, the more I see that the earth was fully developed at the end of creation. It was not just kind of set out there to slow, you know, it's not like the grass was here and it slowly spread over or something like that. It was, the whole thing was complete. When it was done, it was full. And uh, we'll get into that a little later further down. But it also says the fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. So these are the the birds, the winged animals. So the air and the sea are, um, are filled on these days. Now, which day of creation was the firmament made and was the seas gathered together? You can cheat. You can look back if you want. The second day. And we, we see a lot of linking between the first day, the fourth day, the second day, and the fifth day, the third day, and the sixth day. And a lot of what happens on the last three days is him filling out or finishing, specifying, or adding to what was done on one, two, and three. So one and four, two and five, three and six. So two and five is when the firmament was created, when the waters were gathered. Now on day five, we have the firmament being filled with birds, the water being filled with fish. So we see the, the filling of what was already created. Uh, verse 21, And God created great whales, and every living creature that moves, which the waters brought forth abundantly, according to their kind, and every winged fowl according to his kind, and God saw that it was good. Okay, so uh, any questions on this verse that jump out? Verse 21. All right, we have one. This is an excellent question, which I was hoping someone would ask. So, thank you. Did I plant this question ahead of time? Okay, very good. Um, I have it written down here. It is very interesting to read that word whales, and it's like there's no other animals mentioned, right? Well, I, the word whale there is translated a number of different ways in the King James Version. And let me give you some of the other ones, and we'll talk about the idea, okay? So, it's translated four different ways. Uh, it's translated sea monster. Ooh. Sea monster is translated serpent. I'm sorry? Yes. And it's translated, uh, back to my notes here, dragon. And it's translated whale. Okay. Now, is there a couple that we can eliminate right off the bat? Serpent. Serpent. What were you going to say? Sea monster. 
Well, we have to remember what areas are being filled in this day. We're still on day five. So the waters and the air are being filled, right? So serpent can go in the water, but it's not generally a water thing. The dragon is definitely not a water thing per se. So these two are kind of out, all right? But that leaves us with whale and sea monster. Whale, in my opinion, is a little too specific because I don't think God's going out of his way in Genesis 1 to remind us that he made the blue whales or whales in general when there's all sorts of animals in. So I go with sea monster or some even use the word sea creature, which to me is a very broad category, which all through Genesis 1 we have these broad categories. So I do see the term as broader than simply whales specifically as we think of whales. Um, The idea is he's creating the creatures of the sea. So if we read it in verse 21, God created, okay, we have that first one, and then every living creature that moves, which the water brought forth abundantly. So again, living creature that moves, which in the water, and then every winged fowl. So if we understand it as sea monster, it might be referencing the big animals of the sea, and then the second section would be the smaller or even tiny animals of the sea. Because you do know if you take a little thimble of water out of the ocean, it has all sorts of microorganisms and tiny little fish and things in it. So we have the big and the small. So I tend to understand it just in general as the sea creature. Um, So questions or comments? We have one back there. Like specific, specifying the mammal category, you mean? Um, I don't know that the Hebrew would really indicate this would be a mammalian thing. Um, again, I, I kind of, um, I don't know. I guess I wouldn't be inclined that way, but I don't know. So, anyone else? Question? Yes, and that's a good point is that one testament calls it a whale, the other testament calls it a fish. And again, I don't think the Bible is trying to be specific in that way about the, the breathing or so on, um, or the mammalian category. I think the point of Jonah and the fish or Jonah and the whale is simply that it was a big sea thing that swallowed him, right? And um, so, um, you know, we do know today there are whales that are big enough to swallow people, and there are stories of that that have happened. So, you know, that's certainly, a, it's very possible it specifically was a whale, but um, the point is that he was swallowed and, and regurgitated. So, uh, any other comments or questions on these two verses? Okay, again, we continue with day five. Let's pick up in verse 22. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let fowl multiply in the earth. So, you might think this is contradicting what I just said, um, but clearly God didn't chuck the seas so full that it couldn't take more fish, right? There, he is telling them to multiply. But there is also this idea of there was multiplicity of them and there was many of them. But the earth is a big place, right? The ocean is a big thing. It's not like, um, you know, the difference between 10,000 fish and 1 million fish in the ocean is probably like this much. You know, the ocean is so big. So I don't know how many fish it was, but I do know the Bible doesn't indicate that there was just one of each sort or just a couple of each sort. The Bible indicates that there was a fullness and a many uh, to the creation. But then he also says, 
be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters and the seas. Now, this is the first instance that we have of a couple things in the Bible. I'm going to try another one, see if this one treats us any better. The first one is the word bless. Does this show up on the camera okay, Rosario? I don't know, maybe you can't see. That one does, okay. The word bless, it's the first time it's in the Bible. God blessed them. And it's a blessing given to animals, okay? Interesting phrasing and and place to put it. And then he tells them, he commands them to be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters and the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth. So this is across the board. The birds and the fish, be fruitful and multiply. Now, we are going to read another command to be fruitful and multiply in a minute, right? To Adam and Eve. But to Adam and Eve, it says be fruitful and multiply, and it adds further to it. Plants, trees, grain, there's no command to them to be fruitful and multiply, right? Because they automatically do. Animals do by instinct, but I still wonder if his command was not somewhat fulfilled by the instincts of the animals. Um, And we also know the animals do obey his command. And then for humans, there's even more the element of choice involved and intentionality with the fulfilling of that command. So um, let's see here. That's verse 22. Verse 23, um, and the evening and the morning were the fifth day. All right. Um, Any other questions on these verses? The fifth day. The fifth day is over and past. Okay. Day six coming up. Day six kicks off with verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and the beast of the earth according to his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to his kind, and cattle according to their kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to his kind. And God saw that it was good. All right, so we have a couple words that we... Um, maybe have an idea of here. The one word is the word cattle, and the other is the word creep. Does anybody remember from our, when we were going over the simplified, and some of those things, we discussed briefly the word cattle. Does anyone remember the word cattle that we talked about? The answer is no, based on your faces. When we say cattle in the USA, we mean cows. Cattle or cows. But this word cattle is broader And it has the idea of animals that you would have in a herd. So sheep and goats and cows and herd animals, okay, that that people would domesticate. They would eventually use for food. So he says cattle are created. And then he says creeping things. Now, I know what some of you are thinking when you sing creepy things. That's what you're thinking, creepy things. This is when the bugs were made. No, creepers, things that creep. Um not that which creeps you out, okay? So uh, a creeping thing is, a lot of people define it as a crawling thing, and some people say it's animals that have short legs, or they say it's animals that have four legs and are pointed to the the ground. Um, There's a couple different ways to define it. I would imagine, though, that if we have cattle as one category and creeping things as a different category, that there is some kind of distinction being made there. So it's possible that this is referring to smaller animals um, and then this is to larger sized animals maybe um, that we think of on the ground. So again, a little question about where the lines are drawn between some of these categories. 
But clearly, God is designating these different levels of animal creatures and so on. Um, Verse 25, we have the fulfillment, and the beast is the other one that's mentioned, okay? So some people put the beast as bigger than even this, or they think of wild animals, domesticated animals, and then small animals. So again, like, you know, domesticated and wild, there isn't really a third category. So if that was the intent, you know, what's the deal there? Um, So again, some people say impersonal animals, personal and impersonal again, where too small and then personal animals like dogs and cats and, you know, they would include pets. and, And then up here you would have like the lions and the tigers that were a little not not so human-friendly, if you will. And we know they didn't become murderous till after the flood, but still maybe not man's best friend sort of thing. So we have these different categories. God created them, and notice where he created them from. Do you notice where it says they came from? From the earth. So the fish were created in the water, and the animals were created in the earth. And I understand that to mean that the earth is what formed the animals. Um, Dust to dust, we say about humans. Animals also, when they decompose, they go back to dust. And so I understand animals to, to have been formed in a general sense in the way that humans are. Now there's some distinctions which we'll get to, but the fact is is that we're from the dust of the ground. And animals were made of the dust of the earth. So, um, Uh, Any questions or comments on the first two verses here, 24 and 25? Okay. Um, And verse 26 is where we get into humanity, okay? And God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. All right, so let's look at this verse. Humans are being created, and the Bible, for the first time, we hear God speaking in a manner that's not a command. Because all along, God says, let there be light, and let this be so, and let this be so. But this time, the words of God are different in that the way they are addressed, like it says, let us make man in our image. And that is different from the way in which he's spoken about the other pieces of creation, in our image. And there's a lot of ink that spilled over this verse and a lot of talk about the the plural form and us and so on. And many people understand, myself included, that Who God is speaking to is that God is speaking to himself, and this is a conversation between the members of the Trinity, if we want to think of it that way. Um, Us is very much a plural, and our is very much plural, but image is singular. And some people have tried to say, oh, well, it's God talking to the angels, you know, and God says it to the angels, but he uses the word our image, and angels we're not made in the image of God. And the Bible never teaches that in any place. And other people say, oh, well, maybe it's God's different attributes. Well, again, that, that doesn't really fit uh, 
the idea that God would use plural just because he has varying attributes. I mean, uh, that, that doesn't really fit the way people speak or the way we see God speaking elsewhere. Um, so I do believe the only way to really reconcile it and understand it is the idea that it's a conversation amongst God within the Trinity. And what does that tell us? Does it mean anything that God would do it this way and not just the other way? And God said, let man come forth from the ground. You know, why didn't it work that way? What's that? Because of the soul? Okay, well, that would be more along the, the idea of the image of God, right? Having a soul. But I think it shows that, that God had a special and a different intent in his creation of man. And that there was something greater and something more serious or more important about this creation than the others. There is a progression. Have we noticed a progression in the days of creation, right? Things are becoming more specific. Things are becoming more alive as we go, right? And man, it says, God now says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then it says, let them have dominion. Now, has anything else that's been created been told to have dominion? No. The only thing in creation that's been told to have dominion is humanity. And it says dominion over fish, over fowl, over cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing. So you got three sets of animals over all the earth, and then you have another set of animals. Yes? Yes, it is indeed that. And um, we were... Right, right. And it's, um, I think, I'm trying to look back if it even uses a, the pronoun he. I didn't look and find it. Uh, maybe, I don't know about back, but moving forward, it does say um, in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And so, verse 5 has he? Yeah, he. Okay, all right. So, there's been the reference of God as he, and now we have God and us. And so it is, it is a distinction where, again, we need to remember God in his word is going out of his way to record it this way, and it, it does have implication for us. So as I do see it as Trinitarian. Um, now, it's not a full declaration of the Trinity. Like, it's not a full explanation. I mean, you could have two, two and you would have us, right? It could take place with two or four or seven. So there's not a specific Trinitarian reference, but it's a plurality, singularity reference to God that helps us understand he is a little more complex than just the single person or the single earth or the other singles we think of in our existence. So verse 26, um, he gives him dominion. So let's continue with the dominion aspect here. This truth that God gave man dominion over all these things, um, let's Let's, uh, what, what does that mean for our application? Why did God give man dominion? Is there a purpose for him doing this? Okay, so he had responsibility, he had purpose, and uh, I think building off of that is just this idea that God created the earth for himself, but he also created the earth for man. Like, it is for us. And 
so he says, let's create man in our image and let's give him dominion over the earth. So it could be that there's a connection between the dominion and the image of God. And normally we think of God as having dominion over his creation, right? Which he does. But then God says, let's give man dominion over our creation. I think this idea of responsibility connects with the idea that one day humans do give account to God for how they've lived their life, right? And for what they've done with what God has given them. And what is something that God has given them is dominion over the earth. So, for instance, Proverbs says, I walk by the field of the slothful, and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And woe, lo, it was overgrown with thorns and nettles that covered the face thereof. And I saw and considered it well. I took instruction. And the idea is there is a person who has not had dominion over the part of the earth that God gave them. And they were irresponsible with it. They were casual with it. And the idea is that that's a poor usage of what God has given. Um, one example or application of this idea of dominion. Um, now, we know the dominion part got harder with the, the weeds and all, right? Uh, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay, so this verse is very foundational as well, very important verse. And the first time it says he created man in his image, right? But then the next phrase makes the uh, distinction male and female. And maybe if what I could clarify what is meant by the word man would be to say mankind. And then it further specifies how he created them in his image. Some he created male, some he created female. But both or all are created in the image of God, right? Um, and so this idea of being made in the image of God, there's a lot of talk about it. This is what it means. This is what it means. And I do find it interesting about the dominion, which is connected with it in verse 26. And then here it says he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Now, can you find a meaningful difference between the first phrase and the second phrase? So God created man in his own image. Second phrase, in the image of God, he created him. Do you see a difference? I don't see a difference. And it's almost as if God is just repeating himself to say, look, this is what I did. <clears throat> if you didn't hear it, this is what I did. I created man in my own image. And I think this simple truth is what should cause us to treat humanity with seriousness, take humans seriously, respectfully, and to consider them eternally. If man is created in the image of God, can God be destroyed? No. And if God has imprinted his image onto humanity, can humanity be eternally destroyed? I don't believe so. God doesn't create things with his image on them and then obliterate them into nothingness. I believe that humanity lost and saved humanity both, will forever serve the purpose of God. And they will forever um, point back to God 
And so that image of God, I believe, has an ongoing and eternal meaning and purpose. And so when we meet humans, we're meeting people that are created in the image of God. We should treat them seriously, respectfully, and eternally, knowing that they will live somewhere forever. All right, questions or comments on the image of God, verse 26, 27. Jeremiah Matthews. All right, is there anyone after him? Okay. With regard to the dominion, again, um, is that a command? Is, is the command to have dominion an ongoing? I mean, I would think it's an ongoing command for all mankind forever. Mm hmm. apply that? Well, I think the application can take a variety of forms. If you're hungry and you need something to eat and you kill it, I think that would apply. If you have one species dominating and taking over and you go in to eliminate it, I think that would apply. Um, I think the idea is that the earth is for man, it's for humanity. And can I just point out that there are people and movements today that are very opposed to what we're teaching here. And they would teach that humans and animals should be on the same level, right? Christianity and Judaism even would teach very differently in that animals exist for the purpose of humans, not the other way around. Humans don't exist to save animals. Animals exist to save humans and to serve humans and to accomplish the purposes that God's given humans. And so, you know, if you're cold and you're out in the, the wastelands and you kill a bear and you take his fur and you survive, right? That's not murder, that's not um, you know, a wicked thing, that's having dominion over the earth. So I'm sure there's much broader and deeper applications of dominion, but the, the simple purpose is that we are to rule over the earth. Like we're to manage it, we're to use it, and use it wisely, but use it uh, in, in the life that we have. So when it comes to managing it, and things of that sort. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just me, but it, it seems that the that Christians in general are much, and, and rightly so, they're much less concerned about all those things and much more concerned with you know people and individuals. Mm -hmm. But almost to the complete exclusion of anything having to do with this, like. It, it seems like liberals are more the people like concerned with the earth and you know managing animals and things of that sort. Right. And maybe that's just my perspective, you know, because of the way I grew up. But I mean, it doesn't seem like I, it almost doesn't seem like our responsibility. Like, if our responsibility is to win souls. Oh, where I mean, does that fit in? Yeah, unless it's just as small as you're saying, where like you yeah. eat what you kill. Okay, well, let's, let's apply this in the context of Adam, right? Before sin entered the world, God told him this stuff, right? 
So we don't know how long it was before sin entered the world. This was his responsibility before sin ever existed. So killing animals was not God's direct message to Adam. Go kill animals to survive in the frozen wasteland. That's not the purpose. Like, he didn't say that for that purpose specifically to Adam. Rather, Adam was supposed to take over the garden and manage the garden. And I think if man hadn't sinned, the idea was their descendants would spread throughout the earth, you know, and they were to manage the earth. They were to plant plants. They were to harvest. They were to choose where to plant what and, you know, take care of the animals to some degree and so on. And so, um, you know, I don't know how long it was till sin entered, but then sin entered. The dominion statement here still applies after sin enters, but I think the application of it's a little different because of that. So killing an animal would take place after the flood, right? And, and things changed after the fall where you have cursed weeds growing up and so on. So things are different. But still, God told Adam and Eve to, to have dominion over the earth. And so they were to manage it, they were to steward it, they were to arrange it, it was their responsibility. And where that applies to us today, you know, the Great Commission is certainly an overarching theme for all believers. But that's not to say that someone who serves animals is somehow out of God's will. If someone's a veterinarian, if someone's a zoologist, if someone you know, what are the other animal type things, some scientists that studies animals or something. However, however, I think the work that they do is still to benefit humans, isn't it? Doesn't a veterinarian serve humans because humans bring their pet to the veterinarian, right? So when the veterinarian helps their pet, they're helping the human who has that pet, right? So there's still a connection back to the overarching purpose, which is animals exist to bless and support humanity. So I don't know that there's a conflict with the Great Commission. I think you might be saying that there are people who are lost, who are deeply, deeply concerned about animals, and they don't care about humans, right? But, or care very much about humans. Um, that is, you know, a lie of Satan, that animals and humans are on the same level. Oh, not concerned. Okay, I see what you're saying. Right. This dominion is for me. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah, that veterinarian is fulfilling I see. God's command, but am I? Yeah. And like, I mean, more specifically speaking, like when it comes to even the pollution in the air, mm-hmm. I mean, if, if we put that dominion over the power of the air, then that, you know, that becomes, is that something where, like when I vote, do I need to be looking at these two different candidates? Oh, like, oh you know, so I care about the environment. About, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm trying to get down to well, how it applies to the direction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you need to recognize that this command is not simply given individually, it's given generically to humanity, right? So certain di- individuals are going to have more of an involvement in specific parts of this than others, right? So farmers, they're having dominion over the earth by raising crops and harvesting it, right? Um, you know, I already mentioned veterinarians, these different people. So when it comes to prioritizing how you vote, I, I hope we would prioritize humans over the animal world. But, I mean, it really, it depends. There's so many dependent things that you could really get lost in the weeds talking about this. But, I mean, there's certain political issues with, say, pollution, like the Dust Bowls of the 1930s, right? 
Um, I think if I lived in Oklahoma during the Dust Bowls of the 1930s and there was a politician whose main platform was, there's a way we can get rid of this, let's do it, I probably would be like, hey, I think we should do that, you know, because this is really bad for everyone. I mean, that's the Dust Bowls. I mean, it's not the same as there's this one rare, you know, um, a little bug that's in the center of Charlotte, so we can't live within 10 miles of this bug, and you know, and so to me, it's it's someone who has a general framework that fits with the general framework of the Bible on this topic, um, and but I but how how could I prioritize pollution or animal rights or something when we have abortion and other issues that are more directly in violation and more directly impacting to humanity than these other issues, right? So I'm not saying it should never enter, but it's, it's gonna be down the, po the totem pole, so. Any other comments or questions on that? Yeah, that's a good way to think of it too. In God who created us last, and it is a position, and so, and it's for all humanity. I think it's important to, to emphasize that. So how individual specific people live this out will be very different one to the next, probably. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. In Proverbs, it talks about that. And Christianity is not into abusing animals or you know, empty slaughtering of animals. That's not a God-honoring principle. And even if you just think of the animals that are served humans, if you have that screwed on correctly, you'll know that those things don't serve humans. They, they serve to harm humans, not help them. So, you know, when you see the mountains of the buffalo slain in the plains, and there's like no more buffalo and the people are starving, that's an anti-Christian thing. Like, that's not good, that's bad. And, you know, it's not wrong to say that, you know. So, so some, certainly some people live outside of God's plan as we see it here. All right, any other questions? Well, let's do verse 20. Let's try to finish if we can. Verse 28, um, it says, God blessed them. So he blessed the animals, and now he blesses the humans. And said to them, and here we have the list, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it. Very interesting term there, subdue. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and every living thing that moves on the earth. So earlier... This dominion was, it said, specifically just the animals. Here, or I'm sorry, in 28, it just says the animals. In 27, or 26, excuse me, the dominion, it also says, and over all the earth. So it's a little broader in verse 26. Verse 28 just mentions the animals. But he gives these other things. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and subdue it. And if I could just say... Being fruitful is the basis for multiplying. Multiplying is the basis for replenishing. And replenishing is going to be a part of the subduing, right? Adam and Eve themselves could not subdue the whole planet, right? They could not do it alone. So I think this is all a big chain where he's saying, have kids, have families, multiply, and then together you'll be able to work on the earth and replenish it, take care of it. And by doing that, you'll then subdue it, and it will serve you. It will take care of you. And, you know, I can see how, do, do you see how leading up to this, things get more specific, the creations are more complex, they're more special, they're better. And this height of creation, man, he's given this serious task of taking over the earth, of managing the earth, 
and God has created the earth for mankind. God gave us this earth. It's for us. And that's why we can rejoice in sunsets and we can um, enjoy a home and the different things that God has set up this life to contain. So he tells them, this is how you're to accomplish this dominion. And in a way, I think all of this is just the dominion um, means. Now, and the dominion specifically in these verses was for the animals, have dominion over the animals. But in the prior verse in 26, it says over all the earth. So maybe, maybe we could see it a little more disconnected. But remember, the job is too big for just two people. So it is a, a command to humanity as a whole. Um, okay, so verse 29, we have God giving his, you know, uh, verse 28, I do have a couple of scriptures to share. Psalm 115, verse 16, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth has he given to the children of men. Psalm 115, 16. Um, and then also Psalm 8, 3 through 8, I'll read that here. Psalm 8 is a great passage about creation and beauty of creation and things. And Psalm 8 says, one more page here. Psalm 8 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care about him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and have crowned him with glory and honor. You made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yes, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatever passes through the paths of the seas. Psalm 8. Do you know what the final verse is? O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. So um, we can see that dominion aspect brought up again in Psalm number 8. So let's cover these last couple verses. Tim, would you let the folks downstairs just know we're about to wrap up and they can head back up? Okay. Verse 29 the Bible says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed. To you it shall be for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So here in these final verses, God talks about the food. And he says, I've given you food to eat, food for your family, um, and specifically to the humans, it says he's given herb-bearing seed and every tree. So the term herb is, in our thinking, quite very specific. We think of herbs as you know, jars in our, in our um, cupboard that have the red tops and, you know, out come the little green flakes, herbs. But, but it's much broader in meaning here. In fact, there's one place in, in Proverbs, better is a dinner of herbs. The um, Simplified says better is a dinner of vegetables where love is. And, and the idea is that God said, there's two things I'm giving you to eat. One of them comes from trees, like fruit, and the other one comes from plants. And this is the vegetable or the, the greens idea. And the grass, however, that he mentions later, 
I have given every green herb for food. He mentions the animals there. So he, he doesn't say that the animals will eat of the trees. He says the humans will eat of the trees and the humans will eat of the herb yielding seed. But he mentions green herbs for the, the animals. Now, we know about eating food from the trees, right? Because Genesis 3 is upcoming, right? Later, God is going to give a restriction, and he says you can eat of every tree except the one. And I'm still studying it out, so don't quote me 100%, but I'm not sure if God made the Garden of Eden on day six, or if that was something where the, the Eden portion was put together later. I'm, I'm going to study that out more. So it may have been day six where God created Eden. I'm not saying it's not but it also may have been later. So I'll, I'll work through that. Another thing we're going to work through is the way it's phrased in chapter 2, it almost makes it sound like God made Adam and then God made the animals and then God made Eve. But we'll go into that a little more next time in chapter 2. But let me say that chapter 2 and chapter 1, I don't believe have contradictions, but rather that we have to harmonize them properly and carefully, the one between the other. Um, At the end of day six, God uses an extra word. And his extra word is that it is very good. He uses this word very. Why did God say it was very good? Because what? Because it was complete? Okay, that's an idea. Because he had made man? All right, that's an idea. Any others? I don't have any others. But it's possible that God is speaking not just of day six here, but he's speaking of days one through six. And yet, and yet, we're leaving out a little portion we're going to learn in chapter two. There's one time where God said what he did was not good. Do we remember when this was? He knows it is not good what? That man should be alone. And you have to think through this. God already knew that it wasn't good. It wasn't like God was doing along. He was like, oh, I've made a horrible mistake. Right? That's not how it went. Rather, God wanted us to hear him say that it was not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper for him. And actually, when you think about the apex of God's creation, the last thing that God created was Eve. So the apex of creation was a woman, not a man. And uh, some men have forgotten that. But it's true. And if you have your head screwed on straight, you'll remember that uh, the woman is the apex of creation. And uh, we'll get into some of the details of that in chapter 2 there. So, all right, is Tim back? Are they coming? Yes? No? Okay. Well, you can go back and tell them we're praying, okay? And we'll close. And uh, they can join us up here. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the chance to open your word and to read about creation. These final two days were what we studied today. And thank you for creating humans. And thank you for giving us dominion over the earth. I pray that we'll be responsible with what you've placed into our hands. 
And I thank you for how you have created this earth. And you said that it was very good. I pray that we would agree with you often in that, that we would declare your goodness, that we would remember how very good you've been to create and build this earth for us. Help us also to remember that other humans are made in your image and that as we meet people, they are people that bear the image of God and help us to be gracious and respectful and to consider their eternal destination. Um, I thank you for what is contained in these verses. In some ways, we feel like we haven't really understood it all or, or plumbed its depths fully, but we thank you for what you've done. And uh, we praise you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.